one of the big things they did was they developed a brand identity. They decided, yeah. okay, if we're the piano guys, who are we? And, and what, what makes us tick? And they decided, you know what, the thing that we love is making music videos that, that uplift and inspire people. So that kind of became their, their mission statement, create music and videos to uplift and inspire people. That was something they could get behind, they could feel good about. And it also kind of helped direct what kind of music they would cover and what songs they would write. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm super excited to be here today with Frank Nelson. Frank is the business manager for the Piano Guys. If you haven't heard the Piano Guys yet, you definitely should. Just you know, Google the Piano Guys or go to YouTube and check them out. They're uh, an American musical group that combines piano and cello with really elaborate cinematic videos. And it's really impressive. Like if you watch a couple of videos, it's, it's breathtaking. It's really beautiful. They've gotten over 2 billion views on YouTube, like billion with a B, uh, with 6.9 million subscribers and really inspiring story. So I, I think today we're just going to dive into, from Frank's point of view, being able to be there really early on to kind of to watch this growth and watch this transformation with the piano guys to kind of dig into building up from the ground up on YouTube. Also, their email strategy sounds like been a really key component of their success. And also just like the mindset and the transformation that they went through there. So Frank, thanks so much for taking the time to, to be here today. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Michael. Appreciate you. So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the, the building blocks of the piano guys, just kind of the grassroots, really. So they didn't start out as a music band per se, although all of the piano guys do play the piano and they are musically inclined. Uh, Stephen Sharp Nelson has two master's degrees. One is in music and the other one is in nonprofit management. He was a venture capitalist. John Schmidt uh, has his degree. Again, he has two degrees, one in, in English. <laughs> he wanted to be a teacher and one in, in music. And he actually took off as a, a piano player while he would, um, right out of college, people kept hiring him to, to uh, accompany music and stuff. And he, he made more money doing that. And he started cutting albums and and touring, writing sheet music, teaching people to play, and never got to use that that English degree. Just just hangs on the wall. Um, Paul owned a piano store. Now he didn't have any uh, educational background, though he does play the piano. But he was trying to find more conventional ways to sell pianos. Incidentally, I started with Paul as one of his movers, uh, moving pianos. And I, re I recall Yellow Pages. I don't even know you would know what this is. You're probably too young. It's like what the cell phone used to be a long time ago, right? <laughs> yellow Pages is how people found out about stores. And he would put his ad in the Yellow Pages. And they came in one year, uh, it was like 2009, and they, they wanted so much more than they did in the past for the ads. And he shut them down. He's like, nope, I'm just going to go to radio. Radio wanted too much. He's like, what is happening in my little town of St. George? And YouTube was just kind of starting to grow. It was uh, it was a bit of an enigma back then, you know, a little bit of the wild, wild west, sort of like TikTok today. Nobody really knew what it was, but it started forming into this, this um, channel where people had videos. A few music, music videos were on there, and he thought, you know, if I put my pianos, if I could get a piano player 
and film them and show them how awesome this piano is, everybody will want to buy one. They can sell them that way. That's how it started. Incidentally, the name of his piano store was the Piano Guys. <laughs> That's where the name comes from. Nice. So right after we'd had this discussion, uh, John Schmidt, he was performing in town at, at a college and he'd stopped into our store. We always kept one of our best pianos tuned up in the event that he would stop in and want to practice. So he would rehearse there while they were setting the stage. It was just a quiet place for him to, to practice piano. And uh, Paul was like, hey, John, I've got this idea. Let me, let me film you playing the piano and it'll get your music out there. You'll get exposure. You know, people want to buy my pianos and we're going to put on this new platform called YouTube and we're going to sell tons of pianos. And John was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. You know, seemed like a good uh, collaboration there. We filmed our first music video was actually game day and it did pretty good. Then John was like, you know what we're missing? He says, I have a guy that plays on the stage with me. His name is Steven Sharp Nelson. He's a cellist. He's like, let's get him in the next video. And I know it'll do well. So they get Steve, they get John, and we film Michael Meets Mozart. And at the time, Paul had to, to get people on his email list. He was all about the email list for selling pianos. So to get people on his email list, he would, uh, Facebook was relatively new at the time too. He would, um, if you, if you join up, you know, liked him on Facebook, entered your email, he would give away, uh, an iPad a week for anybody that walked through a store, if he could gather your information. So he would do road shows. Uh, he would do these huge conventions, like all kinds of stuff. So he had a pretty good email campaign and he just started blasting this, this video out to all of his, his fans. He's like, hey, check out this new video. I know you like piano, see what you think. And within a week, we had a million views. We didn't even know what that meant. We just knew that it was just taking off. And, and they're like, holy cow, like this, this video has gone viral. Still didn't know what it means. John still goes to work uh, performing piano, some writing sheet music. Steve goes back to his uh, venture capitalist job. And, but Paul, uh, he caught this vision. He's like, holy cow, a million views on YouTube. He's like, That's, that means something big. That's big and I know it is. So guys, let's, let's regroup and let's film another video. Well, he saw uh, that a good formula from what he saw just looking around at other people's channels was about a, a video a week. So they set up on this crazy pace of doing a video a week, just trying to stay um, relevant on YouTube. And it started kind of to take a toll on their day jobs. <laughs> at the time they weren't actually making any money, they were just exhausting themselves. At night they're filming videos or writing music and during the day they're trying to, to, to do their day job. And I remember the kind of the, the pivotal point um, from my perspective, I was out on a piano delivery one day and my partner and I, we'd come back it was 2 p.m. in the afternoon and the doors were locked to the store. There were people waiting outside, like looking through the window to see if anybody's in there. So we unlocked the door and let them in and we go to Paul's office and it's locked. We're like, hey, Paul. And he's like, shh, I'm trying to, try to edit these videos. <laughs> we're like, okay, so you're making music videos so you can sell pianos, right? He's like, yeah. We're like, and you're locking the door to your store because people keep coming in. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, something here is kind of broken. And he's like, oh man, I don't know. He's like, something about these videos has got me just, he's like, I'm so jazzed about it. And so then we became like these salesmen, you know, the delivery slash salesmen trying to sell these pianos. And I remember wondering, I was like, what in the world? Like what, what happened here? And it wasn't until a few weeks later, YouTube actually called up Paul and they were like, hey, we want us, we want you a VidCon. And he's like, why? 
<laughs> They're like, we love your videos. We want you to play your What Makes You Beautiful at VidCon. He's like, okay. So he got the guys together. They played there. They met up with a manager, uh, David Simone, who said, hey, you guys, you have enough videos to literally make an album. All you have to do is just sign on with, he's like, I, I know Sony. I think I can get you in with them. If you were to just sign up, you'd have an album, you'd start making money. And at the time, the guys were like, uh, we, we like doing these videos. We don't know if we're like ready for that, that step. So different than a lot of, mu of the musicians that are listening to your podcast, for sure. But I do remember um, one of the building blocks the major things that I think was really important in the beginning when they first signed on to the label and then they actually started writing music. The guys quit their day jobs and they were trying to find themselves. And one thing that I want to share is one of the big things they did was they developed a brand identity. They decided, yeah. okay, if we're the piano guys, who are we? And, and what what makes us tick? And they're they're all Christian guys. They're all family guys. And they didn't want to do the, you know, the hardcore tour all the time road life. And, and they did for the first year. It was really, really rough on their families and their careers. Mm -hmm. And they decided they're like, you know, we've we've got to put family first. And we need to kind of come up with a just this this brand identity. What is it? Who are we? And they decided, you know what, the thing that we love is making music videos that that uplift and inspire people. So that kind of became their, their mission statement, create music and videos to uplift and inspire people. That was something they could get behind, they could feel good about. And it also kind of helped direct what kind of music they would cover and what songs they would write. So that in, having that in mind really kind of started to shape the, the piano guys, their brand identity, which is, which is huge. Another thing that they did was they're constantly staying educated on, on YouTube. Now, there wasn't really like a course in college on YouTube, but I'll tell you, Paul has what I would call a YouTube doctorate's degree. <laughs> he would spend mm. hundreds of hours watching other people's videos. Uh, he would call them up. He would talk to people, finding mentors, just other people that were in the field. Yeah. And there were a lot of a lot of YouTubers that were more than happy to, to answer questions. And, and some of them would say, why are you calling me? You actually have a bigger channel. And he's like, because I want to keep growing it, right? It's like, if you want to grow a tree, you're, you're going to feed it. You're going to water it. And it was really cool. He had a handful of friends that, that really helped him out. So I would say building that brand identity, making a mission statement, whatever works for, for you and your band, that's going to work. But stick with it because that, that shapes who you are. Leading up to this interview, I went to your guys' website and like and, and looked at looked at it and like the the brand identity is just so so strong and like the values are right there, kind of front and center. That's something that really stuck out. And I'm actually I'm personally working on a new music project right now, and you guys were um, a role model for us in cultivating our own brand identity and some of those principles. So one of the things we did in our last meeting on on Sunday was we um, actually wrote down a bunch of core values, and we've done this for modern musician too, but it was something that is so front and center and you can you can tell that that's that's something that is really at the roots of what the piano guys have built so that's that's awesome to, to hear that um that was one of the first things that that they really were able to dig dig inside and establish you know who, who are we and how do we want to impact people cool yeah that's that's awesome that, that, <laughs> that's really cool that uh that you're actually that you caught that and you're you're implementing that so the, the other note was just, just getting educated. Uh, it doesn't have to be a formal education, but get educated. This is me right now is this, the Don Passman. I'm sure probably everybody's read that book, except for me. I'm getting there, guys. 
but uh, just on on the music business, knowing everything about it, there's just a lot of insight in there talking to people that have been in the business, right? You're going to want to find out pitfalls, things that the other people have struggled with. You know, uh, they say a smart man learns from his own mistakes. A wise man learns from the mistakes of others, right? So learn from others. So good. And then finding a mentor, right? Like how Paul found these mentors on, on YouTube. Find somebody that you trust that's already successful, that's that's willing to talk to you. And if and if they're not, keep looking, keep knocking on doors. There's going to be somebody that will that will sit down and say, hey, you know what? I, I like your style. I like what you're doing. Let's let's talk. So always find a mentor. But that being said, always mentor others because there's always others looking for a mentor, right? And, you're, and you can learn from anybody. You can mm-hmm. learn, like when Paul found this other YouTuber that was like, why are you talking to me? You have a bigger channel, right? You can learn even from those you mentor. So I would say that's another big key is the education, finding a mentor. Yeah, I, mean, I was just going to say that that's something that is a common pattern. You know, I see reflected across all of my mentors and all the people that I see having the most success is that they all are they have this common theme of really valuing their own education and growing and, and being humble and being willing to learn and continually learning, finding mentors. And you know, even in like in every blockbuster story, you know, in every like quote unquote hero's journey, there's always that kind of that mentor, that wise, like like the Yoda or the Dumbledore, they're like, yeah, there's, there's that yeah. character. And, and I think the reason there's that character is because it, it's so true. Like in our own human perspective is that having a mentor is incredibly important. And, you know, it's kind of like Abraham Lincoln, you know, his, his quote about sharpening, sharpening the saw, you know, like if yeah. you give him three hours to, to cut down a tree, he's going to spend the first two hours sharpening the saw. And I think that that's one of the benefits of having a mentor is that, you know, you could, go and you could you could figure all this stuff out yourself and you absolutely can but it's going to really shortcut it's going to give you it's going to save a lot of time and energy and just make it so much so much easier to get to your destination if you have some sort of map in order to get there so that's yeah that's that's awesome that that sounds like that was really a part of the core of the piano guy success as well was just being open minded and always continually learning and finding finding mentors yeah absolutely and then um one thing that I've, I've noticed about um, music writing, just, just kind of jumping into the next note that I had in my head was uh, I, watched, I watched the guys write the music and, and they have, it's funny, they have something they call uh, chills up. It, it's, it's funny, but uh, it's, it's a term they use all the time. It's like when you're, when you're, if you're watching a horror movie and you get that chills down your spine kind of a feeling like, oh no, you know, it's the opposite of that. It's, it's when you're writing something and you get this chills up your spine. And you're like, like just just some base of your spine all the way to the tip of your head. And you're like, oh my gosh, this, this is it, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't write music, but I've been in the room during the creation process, and I can feel it too. Like everybody is just like, okay, this this is it. I remember being on a tour bus, and Al had just finished mixing something, and he puts these headphones on my head, and he says, tell me what you think. I just closed my eyes, and I was listening to Limitless for the first time, the song Limitless, and I just felt like I was just on this bike trail, I love to bike. I was just on this bike trail, just cruising. I mean, it took it took me through a journey. I was completely elevated. I was taken out of where I was, sitting in this cramped tour bus, cruising down the highway, and <laughs> and I was just like on this trip, on this journey. And and after I listened to it, I was like, that was just the most elevating song I've, I've listened to. And it was like awesome, right? I was like, it just chills up. And and that's that that chills up. The reason I mention this is. What I've discovered from my guys is that they they try to write music that's that's from the soul, 
Now, they don't have lyrics to most of their songs. It's instrumental. But still, they, they write from the soul. They write something that moves them. And I would say that I, I would attribute that to a lot of their success of their music. Your, your YouTube channel will get you so far, but the music is the core of it. It has to absolutely be the epicenter of, of being a musician. If you want to be successful on YouTube or whatnot, it's got to be about the music. And if you want your music to be astounding, it absolutely has to be chills up. It's got to be something that moves you. If it, if it doesn't, it's not going to move others. And so I've seen that again and again with the guys. Just, they're always like, they'll, they'll hash something out. Sometimes they'll, they'll spend way too long writing a song, but it's, they, they work on it until it's chills up. So that was the, the last note I noticed, what I would attribute to the success of the piano guys from, from my experience. Oh, what's up, guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're going to walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel that's going to allow you to grow your fan base online in the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's going to be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear. And so that'll help us reach a lot more people. So if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings, then if you want to do us a favor, I'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Uh, I love that, man. Chill, chills up. <clears throat> I've never heard that before, but it's funny. L literally, as you were describing chills up, I got goosebumps <laughs> and I felt, I felt the chills and it's something I, I've noticed. I actually looked it up because I was like, you know, is this like why I get like goosebumps a lot when I'm having conversations with people um, who like say something that just rings true. Like there's just like this resonance to them. I'm just like, like, oh man, like I felt that like I got like goosebumps. And apparently there's a word, like a French word called frisson, which is like musical chills. And it is basically describing what you're talking about, like chills up. And sometimes it happens like when you're listening to like a song or something hits you, it's just so beautiful. It's just like, you know, goosebumps or chills up. And for me, it's become like a, a gut indicator where usually like when I'm having a conversation with someone and I get the chills up experience or like I get goosebumps, I'm like, okay, like there's, there's some magic happening here. There's, there's something good happening here. Um, so what, what a great reminder too, for anyone who's listening to this right now, who's a musician, who's just, you know, that's, there's like an internal and, and everyone probably has experience, right? Like if you're a musician, like growing up listening to songs, like you've had songs just like, re like resonate to your core. And there's something about that. There's like, whew, like it gives you the goosebumps and that's great to, to use as a mechanism to say, like, is that happening? Like, is this magical? Like, is something like, is do I feel that enthusiasm, like that, that movement, is it coming from my soul as a way to determine and kind of course correct and see like, are we, are we on the right track here? So, um, so that's, that's awesome. I feel like we could just end the interview right now. And I've got like three <laughs> major gold nuggets to, to, you know, put in the arsenal. One thing I, I guess I'd be curious to dig a little bit into is, 
you know, like uh, with every journey, there's, there's always ups and downs and there's challenges. And so I guess I'm kind of curious, like, what are some of the biggest um, challenges that the piano guys struggled with when, when they were getting started? Yeah. So the first one I, I, I had kind of alluded to a little bit, um, the piano store, right? When, when Paul had that store and they were make, making more videos than they were selling pianos, there became a, a little bit of a financial crux at that point where it's like, he's got all this inventory in the store and he's paying money to make videos, but money wasn't coming in yet, right? So there was this this huge moment of faith. And I, I do remember that was that at that point where the guys were like, do we just, do we bag it or do we keep going forward with it? And it was it was a huge leap of faith to to say let's move forward with this and and leave what what's comfortable and what's protected behind. So sometimes you do have to step out into the unknown. You have to you know step out into the, to a point where it's uncomfortable. I'm trying to remember who said it, but the man who chases two rabbits catches neither one of them, right? And it's really hard to have that that day job and then to try to to advance this music career. At some point, you're gonna have to take that leap of faith. And I, and I saw that, I saw that when I was with them. The other point that I touched on was um, that first year with Sony and, and touring like all the time, being gone 300 days the first year and, and just having that strain on their family. Uh, they, that's when they had to make another, that other course correction was, you know, this, this can't, success can't, you know, ruin our family. And I, there's a quote that Steve uses all the time. And he says that, no amount of success will ever compensate for the failure in the home. And so he's like, absolutely. We've got to be dads. We've got to be husbands and we've got to be successful in our families. Or what are we doing here? Right? So you have to remember that although the music career is super important, so is your family, right? And, and your, your personal life you have to make sure that that doesn't take the, you know, pay the ultimate price or take the toll for it. But that was a, a big course correction where they had a start. They, they sat down with their wives and like, how long can we be gone at a time? What's, what's comfortable for everybody? They had a big meeting and they decided that like two to three weeks on the road and then, you know, three to four weeks off was, was a good mix. And, and then, you know, they were able to kind of correct that. That was big course correction. Those are the major ones that I've seen. And then there's been just the little hiccups of, of the road life, you know, just, uh, the the latest thing they did was um, on tour in 2019. They had uh, two staple songs that were always in every show. One was Ants Marching, and the other one was What Makes You Beautiful. And it's all four guys playing around the piano at the same time. When you say Ants Marching, are you talking about like the ants go marching one <laughs> by one? Hurrah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was Dave Matthews with that. Um, so it's it's uh, it was pretty cool. But they realize they're like, we have the four of us touring all the time and two of us are only in two songs. And it was a, it was a hard move to make to, to say, what if, what if we divide and conquer? And so the other two guys will continue to write music while John and Steve, the pianist and the cellist continue to tour. And then they just swap out those two songs and make you know put in something else in the repertoire i mean they'd been playing those for four to five years so although they were kind of staples they needed to move those but that was that was a hard decision to make that was a real you know several meetings sit down and like hey is this is this the right move but to divide and conquer was was probably one of the most brilliant things they did because then they'd get off tour rather than being like 
okay, we, we need to like jump right back into the studio, you know, and start recording. And they would, they would come back and, and it would be like, Hey guys, this is kind of what we're working on. Let's see what you think. Maybe throw in a piano part here and a cello part here. And let us know if we're wrong. And it was, it was a way to just kind of step back into the studio and, and sort of pick up and continue, you know, take the baton and continue what the other guys were doing. And that was, I would say it was, um, inspired for sure. And incidentally, uh, Paul at the time was having back issues. So tour was just really rough. It was, it was really hard on traveling down the road, <laughs> with his back issues. So yeah, so he could, he could go back and start putting together the next kind of the production for the next video. Al would go back to the studio and start working on the next mix, get some ideas, or he would just continue uh, finishing tracks. He's the studio engineer, but he plays like every instrument under the sun. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are in the same boat, <laughs> but that was, I would say that was um, the most recent and probably one of the most important decisions they made was, was to divide and conquer, to continue to, to move the career forward without burning themselves out. And one, one thing that really sticks out um, as you as you share their story is that it sounds like the communication between the band members is like really strong. You know, that's a very like on the same page. The fact that you know having to sit, like every every organization, every group, every band like has big decisions and turning points and and disagreements and you know and, and things to discuss. And yeah, you know, it sounds like through that entire journey, one of your the guys' strength was it was really coming together and being able to get on the same page, both in terms of like with their families and, and wives and, and making sure that everything was aligned, but also in terms of making these decisions. And that's something I hear a lot with with bands sometimes struggling with, you know, having one or two members who are kind of like serious or doing like most heavy lifting. And then it's like, um, and then like disagreements or not being fully aligned. And it, it does kind of stand out that it sounds like you know, all, all the guys really got together and, and worked inwardly and really figured out the, the brand identity and the vision and, and have these are making these big decisions together. That's awesome. So uh, one thing, yeah, we, we briefly uh, talked about this last time we talked, but I thought that this was, this was a really valuable thing to, to maybe discuss a little bit is around kind of those early stages you know, it's, it's, it's easy after you reach the stage of success you guys are at now, where it's just like, you know, who you are speaks so loudly that, um, you know, what was the quote? Like it was at Emerson or something like who you are speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but like the proof is in the, like you guys, like there, there's so much, um, there's so much success and now it's like very apparent outwardly, but you know, early on before that existed, before the success came, you know, I think that there's in the early stages, there's this almost precarious or kind of this, this, uh, it's like a, a seed that starts to, to sprout in the ground and like it hasn't built up into a, a formidable tree yet. And so it's really gentle and it's kind of fragile. And what was your experience like in terms of the guys' mindsets? Like early on, was there ever anything that they needed that they like struggled with in terms of like self-doubt or like or, or self-worth or value or like whether they're good enough? Or is it something like, like what was your experience with them as they've gone from before the success along the path to you know, building the outward success? I would say that that's, that still exists um, to a degree. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's hard to, to ever wrap your head around um, how others see you, right? And it's, it's funny, every once in a while in a meeting, we'll, we'll actually, you know, uh, one of our team members will just be like, you're the piano guys, right? Let's, <laughs> there's, they, there's inherently, you, you don't need to doubt so much about what others are going to think, you know? Um, 
but just as important, I think, as doubting is self-doubt about what others might think, you know, and, and about whether or not others really care. And I, I think that's why sometimes tour is super important because you get immediate feedback, right? You're getting that mm. feedback from the show. But just as important is to is to not take yourself too serious. And I think the guys do a really good job about that. Is they're pretty humble guys. They'll they'll talk to anybody. They're really down to earth, and they they never seem to take themselves too serious. And they'll still joke all the time. Somebody once asked me in in a meet and greet. I was checking people's passes at meet and greet, you know, and letting them in and. And they were just like, oh my gosh, like these guys are so funny and they're so excited all the time. It must be great to spend time with them. I'm like, sometimes it's exhausting <laughs> because they're really like that. They're really like that. You get on the bus and they're just, they don't stop. They're just, they're, they're funny guys. So they just don't take themselves too serious. And I think that's kind of what, what helps that stage chemistry of them just being like a lot of people think they're going to a classical show and they're disappointed, <laughs> but they're, they're funny. There's a lot of comedy to it. And they actually... I mean, within the first few songs, you're, it's, it's pretty funny. Uh, they're, they have quite the comic routine, but it's because they're genuine and they're just down to earth. And they're, they, they don't mind the, the what's that self-deprecating humor, you know, and it's just, they're, they're funny guys. But I think that's important to not take yourself too serious. But at the same time, you, you do need to have that confidence to realize that others do take you serious. So that, that is a, uh, a bit of a juggling act to see the guys play. That is really good, and I think they're right. they're they're sort of like a like a, a bit of a paradox in there. But I think it's it's also it's it's really important to to realize like the balance act of like not caring versus caring. Like ultimately, like you care like like a lot, but also at the same time, you don't necessarily derive your ego or your entire sense of self from from the thing. It kind of reminds me of the paradox of like being comfortable with being uncomfortable in a sense. Like how that's sort of like a, a magic. Uh, a magic thing if you're able to become uncomfortable or be- become comfortable with being uncomfortable and one thing that, that kind of speaks to that was ear- earlier on when you said there's kind of that moment where they had to step into the unknown and and it was scary and yeah i think that it takes a lot of courage and a lot of character and a lot of like a, a deep deep sense of confidence um, and something, you know, in, in your vision or in something like bigger than yourself in order to take, to take a step like that. It is really interesting, kind of that, that balance between really caring and like putting as much into it um, as possible, but also having humbleness and having a sense of awareness to be able to kind of detach from it and not necessarily derive your ultimate identity from, from that thing. So um, for anyone who's listening to this right now, who's, you know, we have a variety of, of people in the audience, people who... Um, are just starting out who, you know, they've started to like kind of build their careers and, and hone their craft. And they're, I, I think that for, for them, in a lot of cases, it is sort of this, this fear of, am I good enough? Um, and who's like, who's going to care about my music? Like, how, how do I get like people aside from just friends and family to care? Am I, am I good enough? And then also, you know, we have people who are going to be listening to this who they've already built an established audience and they're doing incredible things and they're just looking for ideas and ways to kind of reach the next level, but they also can appreciate the fundamentals, kind of the, the core things that, that lead to that. But do you have any final kind of parting, parting words of advice maybe for someone who is listening to this right now in terms of, yeah, in terms of like that, what we talked about with like the, the self-worth and just like who will care and having value and anything to, to speak to from that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the most important thing is that, that you care right? 
Uh, when you ask who will care, I mean, there's you and there's God. And that's really kind of all that matters, right? I mean, you care <laughs> and, and remember that. And others will care too, as long as you care. But I'm telling you, man, people care. They, they really do. All you have to do is just like, seriously, you can go to the mailbox and just talk to whoever's at the mailbox cluster and you're going to make friends with them. People really care. They, they don't only care about you and your business and your success, but care about you as individuals. Um, and just always remember that, like, you know, we are our own worst enemies, right? Self-doubt will, will inevitably kind of crowd our, our mind, kind of like weeds in the yard. But if you just keep plucking those out and moving forward and just saying, you know what, I am good enough and, and I do care. I want to just give you a, just a tiny parting story um, just to kind of support a few things, right? Finding a mentor will help with caring. Okay, that's going to help you. And I'll, I'll tell you kind of a, a quick, funny story, a little bit of my background. When I worked for the piano guys as their delivery guy, that was my part-time gig. I was a manager for a Fortune 500 company. I did that for you know 14 years. And when Paul asked if I could join their team as uh, as a tour manager, I said sure. And he's like, "Well, how are you going to learn the job?" And I said, "Well, you know, the company I work at, they move me from from area to area, and I'll just study with a look, and I'll find whoever's the best in that area." And I'll study with them for two weeks. I'll just pick their brain. I'm gonna write everything down. I'm gonna reread it. And I'm just gonna constantly come up with questions. And then I know the job. And he's like, you think you can go to tour management? Oh man, I was way overconfident. I'll tell you what, <laughs> not as humble as the guys are. I was like, yeah, I can do it. So I bugged the industry. I talked to our, our general manager and I said, hey, who's, who's the, the best tour manager in the industry? And he hooked me up with a guy that had been, uh, TM for, for AWOL and Cheech and Chong and, and now works for, for Disney and worked with it for two weeks, hired him for, to, to help me for two weeks. And it was like drinking water through a fire hose. It was kind of hard to grasp. I didn't really even know the music business. So then I would just go to venues and I would just, um, even in my area and just start asking people I'm like, Hey, who's, who's the production manager here? Can I just hang out for a day and just tell me what that is in the sky? Right. Like, just tell me what all this, like just learning the, the terminology and, and then just being, I had to be super vulnerable to the first uh, promoter I ever talked to when I was advancing a show. I just said, okay, I know nothing about this. And she was this great lady that actually had been promoting for so long. She's just like, I love that you don't know anything about this and that you're telling me that. She's like, let's talk. And then I, I stayed in communication with her probably longer than I did the tour manager that I hired. For like two or three weeks later, I was constantly emailing or calling and asking questions. And she was just so quick to give me feedback. And I really appreciated, appreciated that so much. And then when I found somebody else that I thought was doing better than me, again, I just started asking them. And that helped, that helped build my self-worth, my, my self-confidence, because I went through that. I was screaming in my head at first, like, oh no, like, I, what am I doing? I, like, I went from a job that I knew so well for, you know, 14 and a half years to, to tour managing. I don't know this, but um, I've been helping others along the way uh, since then. And that will also help you with your self-worth of who cares is when you're mentoring others because they care. They're like, teach me everything you got. There's always somebody that, that knows more than you. There's always somebody that knows less than you. So those two things will help keep you centered where you don't feel like uh, so much like like a, a failure and you're waiting for somebody to discover it, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it'll help you to realize that people care. 
Sorry, long answer. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's so good. I wish that I had like a mic in my hand right now. I could just drop. <laughs> it's, just, it's fantastic. Well, hey, hey Frank, um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be here. And um, and you're, it's such a, a great, uh, like I was like saying with that quote earlier, like who you are speaks so loudly. I can hear what you're saying. Like everything I'm seeing from from you and in, in your camp is just like so uh, so much humility and also like an, like uh, continually learning. Like the way that we got in touch, the fact that you were on one of our training presentations and reached out to me, and I was like, whoa! Like he's reached out to like you know, the piano. They're they're massive. You guys are doing incredible things. So it's awesome to talk with you and to and, and thank you so much for for sharing this to help the people who are who are also in the audience. Yeah, appreciate your time, Michael. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take the music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.